Good morning, church. How are you? Man, I'm glad you guys are here. Hey, before we jump in for today, uh, I am excited to report uh, as we're bringing things back online after going through all of the craziness the past couple years, we have an event that we haven't been able to do the past couple years, but it's coming back up in a few weeks, and it is Trunk or Treat. How many of y'all have been a part of Trunk or Treat in the past? I'm excited about that. Listen, I have so many fond memories of Trunk or Treat. It has been awesome. It's one of the first things I ever did here. And honestly, it's an incredible event that we get to reach out to the community. Now, I don't know if dressing up in costumes is like your thing anymore, right? Uh, So you say, hey, that's for kids. I just don't know. Maybe I'll pray for you, but not my deal. Here's the thing. And I want to let you know why we do this event. Every year, we have an opportunity to gather right out here in the Mount Laurel Square and put on our event for the entire community. It's a time where hundreds of people from the area who might not be planning to come and join us on a Sunday morning are going to come hang out with us for a couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. People who live in this area and don't even know we exist. I didn't even know there was a church here are going to bring their kids and say, hey, but I, I, I want to come and be a part of a trunk or treat where we're just going to love on folks, show them a, a real good time, be able to hand them out some candy, but also to introduce ourselves to say, hey, we're not scary. Come hang out with us. The Lord is doing some incredible things and we would love for you to be a part of it. We've made so many connections over the year, over the years through this event. And so look, this is, we're not just doing it just to do it. We're not doing it just to have an event. This is a part of our outreach to the community something we've built up over time. It is a way for us to give back, but also, especially in this time of rebuilding, as so many people have moved in or moved into the area who may not know we're here, this is an opportunity, an open door for us to say, hey, we would love to get to know you better. We would love to invest in your family, let you know about what's going on with our our, our kids' ministries, our youth ministries, our preschool ministries. Man, why don't you come and hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is our opportunity to do that. So let me just encourage you. We really do need your participation. In years past, you may say, oh, man, I'm sure they've got more than enough people. Man, no, we actually really do need your help. We need you to do a trunk. Alice and I are working on ours. Alice is working on costumes today. As we're getting ready for ours in a couple weeks, we really do need your help. And so if you can, we would love for you to sign up to be, a, uh, be one of those trunks. If you say, Adam, I need help, need some ideas. Man, call us. Talk to Sandy. We've got a list. We'll give you some, some ideas for a game or a thing that you can do at your trunk. Talk to your community group. You might want to do that together with them. Usually that's what we, we do where people will say, hey, let's do two or three trunks just together as a group. See who else might want to join in with you. On top of it being a great outreach, you also have a ton of fun. You really do build some bonds with other people when you're wearing costumes. You do, right? Just guards come down. You have a lot of fun when you're dressed up in a silly way. No scary costumes. But listen, let's have some fun, man. Enjoy it and let's see what God will do. So a couple ways that you can help out. Obviously, have a trunk. We really need your help with that. Sign up today says, yes, I can fill one of those slots. Candy, we have to give give candy out to all these ravenous children. You can bring that, right? So if you're buying candy at Walmart for your home, hey, grab an extra bag, man, donate that here so that we can give it out to other people. And then thirdly, volunteer. We're gonna have a a magic show running around. We're gonna have a a popcorn machine. We're gonna have different kind of things that that really just need some help, either set up or clean up. Maybe you can volunteer to help us, but this is kind of an all hands on deck event and we need your help this year. So be praying for it, be inviting your neighbors and man, be a part. Sign up for that trunk uh, online. Look over here, doubleoakcc.org slash trunk or treat. You can sign up, find information and we will help you. But I am excited about what's gonna happen on the 24th, not the 31st. I know it's on a Sunday. On the 24th is when we're doing trunk or treat. Sound good to you? 
Awesome! I am excited. It's going to be fun and ridiculous. Don't miss it. Now, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is where we'll be in just a minute uh, as we continue our series called Draw Near. We are learning about prayer, this invitation of the Lord to draw near to Him that comes with a promise that says that when we draw near to Him, He will also draw near to us. Uh, We're going to be in a lot of different Psalms today, but Psalm 73 is where we'll be in just a minute, Uh, starting there in verse 1. Psalm 73 is where we'll be in just a moment. As you were turning there, how many of you guys grew up in the South? Anybody? Yes, you grew up in the South, most of us. Yeah, some of you may not. You may be transplants. Welcome. Uh, I am an Alabama boy, born and bred, uh, lived in this state my entire life, and I love it. Uh, And one of the things that we are known for here in the South is our Southern hospitality. And that is something we kind of take pride in, right? We take pride in the fact that we're generally good, nice people, right? We want to put you at ease. We're going to generally be courteous to one another. We, we kind of pride ourselves on that Southern hospitality. Uh, I was talking to my mom this past week, and we were talking about just when you would go to somebody's house, like if you were traveling somewhere and stopped in to see a relative, stopped in to see a friend, it was just kind of a custom that if you just popped in to see somebody, that that person would therefore say, well, you just need to stay for dinner. You need to stay for lunch. And then they would cook you a full meal. That's Southern hospitality, is it not? My Aunt Bessie, if we ever went to see Aunt Bessie, Aunt Bessie was going to cook us a meal, whether you wanted it or not. You were staying. You had to have a meal, and it didn't matter whether you had already had lunch or she wasn't feeling well. Aunt Bessie was going to get up and make you a meal. She wanted to be hospitable. She wanted to kind of open her door so we would feel comfortable there, right? But navigating Southern hospitality takes a little bit, right? Because there's, there's some things that go along with that you're trying to figure out. Uh, take this, for instance. I wonder if anybody's ever said this to you. Hey, maybe you're staying with them for the weekend. You went to see some friends, and they looked at you and said, hey, make yourself at home. How many of you have had somebody say that to you before, right? Hey, just make yourself at home. How many of you have said that to somebody else before, right? You come to your house and say, hey, make yourself at home. It sounds wonderful. That is Southern hospitality, is it not? But if you go to somebody's house and they say, hey, make yourself at home, there's this question at the back of your brain, which is this, do they really mean that? Like, do they honestly want me to make myself at home? Like, do they really mean that? Do they honestly want me just to plop down on their couch and raid their refrigerator and go tool around in the garage or doing whatever I might want to do? Do they honestly want me to make myself at home or are they just being hospitable? Or maybe it's, it's awkward on the other side. Maybe you've said that to somebody before and you do mean it. You say, no, 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 I really want you to feel at home. I really want you to feel that comfortable when you come to stay with me. And then you watch people not take advantage of that, uh, where they, they don't make themselves at ease. They don't make themselves at home when you would really want them to do so. And we're all just trying to kind of navigate this hospitality to say, do you really mean that or not? And I think something similar happens when it comes to prayer, Because God makes extravagant invitations to us. The whole title of this series is Draw Near. It's an invitation from the God of the universe where he says, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I think for all of us, when we hear that, that sounds amazing. But there's a nagging question at the back of our minds and it's this, does he really mean that? Or is he just being nice? 
Does the God of the universe really mean that or is he just being hospitable because he's a good God? He's just required to say that kind of thing generally, but does he really mean that for me? Does he really mean that for me? Because if we don't actually believe it, we will never find ourselves at ease in his presence. We will never actually draw near to him because we don't know if he actually wants us to draw near to him. Maybe it was somebody else he would prefer rather than us, but, but what if he means it? How would it change our prayer life if God literally meant, I want you right now, as you are, I want you to draw near to me. How would that change our prayer life? So let me show you a couple verses. This is not Psalm 73, but this is Philippians chapter four. Uh, we're at the end of the book of Philippians uh, and Paul's wrapping up the letter and he's giving some practical application of things and, and just listen to what he says here. He says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the same invitation. I want you to bring everything to me in prayer. Bring everything to me. And there's a couple things I think we can break down from here. First off, uh, notice what he says here. Uh, he says, Listen, this is a peace that doesn't make sense. What God is offering is a peace that doesn't make sense. He said there's a, a peace that passes all understanding. He says, listen, when you draw near to me, I want to give a peace to you, but here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I'm going to answer every request. It doesn't mean I'm going to give you all the answers that you're looking for. It doesn't mean I'm going to do everything that you want me to do, and yet I will still give you peace, which doesn't honestly make sense, does it? Because isn't that where the peace comes from? If I'm confused, if I'm nervous, if I'm anxious, I want answers. God, God, what's going on? Can you just tell me why? Why is this happening? God, how long is this going to last? God, how is it all going to turn out? Well, what are you doing with this? And we assume that if we just had the answers to those questions, the answers to the, uh, the whys, the, the whats, if I knew what was going on, that would give me peace. And the Lord reminds us, says, actually, it wouldn't. I could tell you all that and it wouldn't give you peace, but you can have a peace that passes understanding in me. How is that? Let's put that back up on the screen. Notice at the very end, notice what he says. This peace comes in Christ Jesus. Your hearts and your minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. Look at the very first phrase. The Lord is at hand. The peace comes in the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. We're not simply coming to an answer, we're coming to a person. We're coming to our Savior who loves us, who's given his life for us. And so he says, listen, don't you understand, when you come to me, though you might not get all the answers that you're looking for, just being in my presence, knowing that I'm here, that I love you, when you are in me and I'm not going anywhere, this can give you peace. This is one of the reasons we pray, one of the reasons we draw near is it gives us a peace that passes understanding. Here's the second thing. We can respond to anxiety with prayer. We can respond to anxiety with prayer. Look at the very next thing he says, verse six. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication present your request to God. All right, so he says, don't be anxious about anything. Let's start with this. That doesn't mean that you can't feel anxiety. 
The command to don't be anxious is actually an impossible command to obey. You can't stop yourself from feeling anxiety. You ever had a moment where you just woke up anxious? You didn't do anything. You just woke up that way. And now you just have to deal with it. You can't stop yourself from what you feel. So the command here is not, don't feel anxious. Then what does that mean when he says, don't be anxious about anything? He says, listen, you might feel this way, but don't live in that anxiety. Don't allow it to rule you. Don't give in to it. Instead, bring it to the Lord in prayer. When we feel anxious, when we feel stressed, when we feel all of these things roiling around inside of us, instead of running from the Lord, instead of trying to deal it only on our own, instead we can bring that to the Lord in prayer. Why? Because when I know his person and his presence, when I'm reminded that I can draw near to him and he draws near to me, there is a peace that passes understanding. And so when we feel anxious, the way that we respond to that anxiety is prayer. But then thirdly, and this is probably the most important and also the hardest, it says don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He doesn't simply say pray. He says in everything, I want you to come and bring that prayer to me. In everything. No matter who you are, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what state you find yourself in, in everything, I want you to come and draw near to me. And that's when the question pops up. Does he really mean that? Does he honestly mean that I can come to him in prayer? And we always know that we can come to him in certain kinds of prayer. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, pray at least a little bit. We know that there are times, seasons, moments where I can pray, where it's a good time to pray. When Hayes led us a few minutes ago, we said, okay, I can pray. I'm in a worship service. That makes sense. But here he's saying not just in worship service, but in everything we can pray. That's when we have to ask the question, does he really mean that? Because look, I'm not a military guy, but I've watched enough television to see a lot of military stuff. You ever seen people when, you know, there's guys in the room and a superior officer walks in and they snap to attention. And then almost immediately the officer will say, at ease. You ever notice that they never go at ease? You ever notice that? They go from here to here. Well, that doesn't look very at ease, does it? I mean, you ever never seen one? At ease. Whoo! <laughs> Man, I was really nervous getting called in the general's office. I'm going to sit down. Are those peppermints? You never see that. They're not going to be at ease. They're still in the presence of the general. And I, I think that's probably our attitude in prayer, is it not? God says, draw near. And we go, all right. And that's about as far as we go. Because we don't know if he actually means it. Which is why when we sin, we run and hide like Adam and Eve. When we find find ourselves anxious, we spiral out of control because we don't know if we can bring that to the Lord. When we find ourselves angry or confused or, or doubting, we just run off and isolate. We don't actually bring all of our chaos to the Lord. We don't bring who we really are to the Lord because we don't know if there's an answer to the question, does he really mean it? But what if he does? What if Jesus is not inviting us only on our best days? only the best of us, but what if he actually means it that no matter who you are or where you're at, you can draw near to God and he will draw near to you? The answer, spoiler alert, is yes. 
He's been saying it, not in just in Philippians chapter four, but he has been saying this throughout the entirety of scripture from when he walked with Adam in the cool of the day to when we talked with Moses, as man talks to a friend, as he interacted with David, the man after God's own heart and all throughout the scriptures when he comes in, the, in Jesus Christ to see us face to face, eye to eye, when he takes his spirit and puts it inside of us. Yes, he actually wants to bring all of ourselves to him in prayer. I want to show you that through a bunch of psalms today because the psalms are really a window into the soul. When you read the entire Psalter, you're going to find every emotion under the sun. And these are songs that were sung in worship. These are worship songs. And so as we read all of these different things and we begin to discover our own emotional states, as we begin to discover different places where we find ourselves, we're reminded that God does actually want us to bring all of ourselves to him in prayer. So we're going to start in Psalm 73 and talk a little bit about our doubts. If you've ever had a doubt about the Lord, a doubt about Christianity, a doubt about the Bible, a doubt about how God does things, you are finding yourself in good company. Psalm 73 is a psalm of a guy named Asaph. He is a worship leader. Listen to what he says. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For look at them. They, they don't have any pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as other people are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and have washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I said I will speak thus, I, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. I'll stop right there. Asaph's got a problem. He's a worship leader for Israel. His whole job was to lead people in worship. And he thought he had a handle on life. He says, listen, I thought I understood things. When, when we follow after the Lord, we will be blessed. But if you reject the Lord, you will end up being cursed. But that's not what he sees in real life. When he looks out at life, he says, no, wait a minute. I'm looking at all these wicked people and I thought the Lord was gonna curse them. And instead, they're doing fine. They're popular, they're rich, they don't have troubles like everybody else does. On the flip side, here I am trying to follow the Lord, trying to do what is right, and I feel like my life's falling apart. What's the deal? I thought you were on our side, what's going on? And then he says, but I can't even say this stuff out loud. If I said this out loud, it would have betrayed your children, but I don't know what to do with this until he goes to the sanctuary of God. Now, it's interesting that Asaph says, I can't say this stuff aloud because clearly he must have because it got into a worship song that got into scripture. Here we are thousands of years later because when he said to the Lord, hey, I can't say this stuff out loud, the Lord said, oh yeah, you can, it's fine. 
P.S. Put that in the Bible and pass it down from generation to generation. The author Philip Yancey once said this. He said, every major objection to Christianity is already embedded in the words of Scripture. All the questions that we have about the Lord, they're not new questions. They're the same questions that have always been raised. They're the same doubts that have always been there. And the Lord addresses them in his word. He says, I'm not scared of your questions. I'm not scared of your doubts. There are going to be times that you and I, even as faithful people, will have doubts, questions, things we don't understand, things we can't bring our, uh, our minds to, to really grasp. And instead of allowing that to totally destroy your faith, instead the Lord says, bring that to me. Bring that to me. You're not going to be able to figure this out on your own. You're not going to figure out this with just your own intellect. Instead, bring those to me. And when Asaph finally brings his doubts to the Lord, the Lord helps him work through them. What do you do with your doubts? When you doubt, when you have questions, things you say, oh, I can't say that out loud. Can't say that to anybody. What would they think? Do you just keep it to yourself or do you draw near? And say, no, I'm going to bring that to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 73 is telling us that there's a, a possibility, not just a possibility, but we're actually encouraged to draw near to him in everything. You can actually draw near with your doubts. Let's look at another one, though. Look at Psalm 55, if you will. Let's flip over Psalm 55. There's going to be lots of flipping today. Psalm 55. What about our anxiety? Psalm 4 mentioned our anxiety. What do we do with our anxiety when you and I deal with it? Psalm 55 is a psalm of David. David finds himself in a rough situation. Listen to what he says, verse one. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away to be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind at Tempest. It seems that Jenny from Forrest Gump was not the first person to pray, oh God, make me a bird that I might fly far, far away. She actually stole that prayer from David, who prayed it a lot many years earlier. And I wonder if you've prayed it too. Oh, God, can you just make me a bird and get me out of this? I just want to run away. I want to get away from all this stuff. Look at how David feels here. He says, listen, verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. Terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come over me. Horror overwhelms me. Do you know what he's overwhelmed by? If you read the rest of the psalm, you'll find out it's because a friend has betrayed him. He said, man, if it was just somebody else, it'd be fine. I could just ignore them. But this is somebody I know. This is somebody I worshiped with. This is somebody I counted a friend. This is what has thrown him into disarray. So much so that he says, it overwhelms me. Now, if you roll your eyes at that and go, oh, man, come on, get it together. Please remember who we're talking about here. This is David. David, who stands up to Goliath. David, who leads his men into battle. David, who's been in more physical altercations than any of us ever will be. 
This is an incredibly brave man. But when he finds himself at a different point in his life, he says, listen, the anxiety within me threatens to overwhelm me. You ever felt like that? You're not alone. Because if it can happen to David, it happens to us. And in fact, it happens to most of us. If you had any idea how many people in this congregation and in our community and in our country were using antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications, you would be shocked. There's some studies that say it's already almost a majority of us. You're not alone. It's not just you. You're not the only one struggling. Everybody is struggling. We are struggling. Our students are struggling. Our nation is struggling. We've got all these things going on and it fills us with dread and overwhelms us with anxiety. What do you do with it? Because for some of us, we just try to deal with it on our own. We're we're trying to deal with it by ourselves and the Lord says, no, bring that to me. David knows what to do with this anxiety. He doesn't hide it from the Lord. He doesn't expect a lecture about how he should be brave. Instead, he brings it to the Lord and says, God, help me attend to my cry, and it helps him. Look, there's nothing wrong with you using medications. The Lord has given us all kinds of different things to help us, but those medications by themselves aren't going to fix the problem. If there's going to be a solution, we're going to need to come to the one who is with us. The one who is solid and stable and does not change. We need to come to him in prayer. What's our natural reaction when it comes to our anxiety? Is it a spiral out of control or do we bring it to the Lord in prayer? Psalm 55 is a reminder not only that we're not alone, but that God is welcoming us when we feel overwhelmed. You can bring your anxiety to him in prayer. What about Psalm 13? Uh, We're not going to read the fullness of Psalm 13. We've actually read it multiple times uh, over the course of the past few weeks. Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. Uh, Hayes has been leading us through different types of worship experiences over the last few months. One of those things that we don't often do in worship is to say, hey, I can actually grieve. It's okay to express my grief to the Lord. And sadly, we've had a lot of grief to deal with these past few months, have we not? I have been involved in more funerals over the last three months than I ever have in my entire ministry. There are a lot of us who are grieving for lots of different reasons. And what do we do with that grief? Do we expect that the Lord just wants us to kind of remember our faith and remember the end and, and that's just it, to dry our tears and move on? Or is it okay for us to actually express our grief? In Psalm 13, you hear statements like, how long, O Lord, how long? Are you gonna forget me forever? How long am I going to have all this anguish in my heart? How long am I going to have to have just a a face wet with tears? David brings that to the Lord too. We can come to him in our good days and in our bad days. And as we ride those waves of grief, it is possible to come to the Lord, not just at the top when we're feeling our best or feeling our most faithful, but even at the bottom when we feel at our lowest and we don't know if we can go on. The Lord says, bring that to me in prayer. Bring everything to me in prayer. You can bring your grief to the Lord. But what about something like anger? Can you bring that to the Lord? Let's go to Psalm 109. Let's flip over there for a minute, if you will. Again, I hope you'll go back and you'll read all of these later on this week and you'll begin to delve into all of this. But Psalm 109, we have yet another Psalm of David. This is not a Psalm that gets preached a lot. 
You may not have ever heard this psalm before. Maybe it's one of those that we just kind of run over kind of quickly, but listen to what David says, Psalm 109. Verse one says, be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and they attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. I'll stop there. All right, so that's the situation David finds himself in. It's a bad deal. He feels like he's being slandered. So that's the situation. Now, here's his ask. This is what David is going to ask the Lord to do. Verse six, hey, God, I want you to appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his own prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few and another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander around and beg, seeking food far from the ruins that they inhabit. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be no one to extend any kindness to him or give any pity to his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be Remember before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them always be before the Lord continually. He may cut off the memory of them from the earth. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Dude went after his mom. Did you hear that? David goes nuts. He says, don't just get this guy, get everybody. Get him, get his wife, get his kids, get his mom, get his dad. He's going nuts. What do you do with that? If you want to sound smart, there's a word for psalms like this. They're called the imprecatory psalms. It's a psalm of judgment. And to be honest, this is not a good psalm. I would not encourage you to say, oh, it's my new favorite verses. If you are, let's talk. <laughs> but if that's the case, you got to say, well, then why is it in here? Dude, if, that doesn't sound good. Why, why, if that's not good, then why is it in here? Because some days you're going to feel like this. And that's why it's in here. Look, we said this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when I'm preaching, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll use rhetorical questions. If you're teaching or leading, sometimes you ask rhetorical questions. These are questions that you ask, but you don't actually expect anybody to answer, right? They're rhetorical. And even in Bible studies, sometimes you'll do that. Even though, you know, in Bible studies, you talk back and forth. But I was leading a Bible study one time, and I was, I was teaching some 109 along with some other passages. And, and I just asked a rhetorical question. I said, I wonder if you've ever felt this way. I wonder if you've ever prayed for God to kill somebody before. And that's just one of those rhetorical questions you don't expect an answer for. And then I had a lady raise her hand in the back and said, oh yeah, I've prayed for God to kill people. <laughs> to which I asked, how'd it work out? <laughs> I got nervous. And she said, well, I had this person and they were a thorn in my side. They were terrible. They were the bane of my existence. So I prayed for God to kill them. I hated them. And so I prayed every day that God would just kill them. I prayed every single day, but over time, as I would pray it, God got me to where I wasn't praying for them to kill them. I just prayed, but I didn't pray for God to kill them anymore. And then as I continued to pray, and as time went on, God finally got me to a place where I could pray for them. And so now I just pray for them. 
I said, that is amazing. She said, yeah, but don't forget this. I never would have gotten there if I hadn't prayed for God to kill him first. That's Psalm 109. Psalm 109 is not a model for us to follow. Like, this is what God ought to do. We're actually going to see a different place where David will contradict what he says in Psalm 109. But the reason this is here is because there are going to be days you're going to feel this. There are going to be days you're going to want this. It's not right. But what do you do with it? Do you just bottle that up? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you allow it to poison you from the inside out? Or do you bring even the things that aren't right to the Lord? To say, God, I hate these people. I hate that person for what they've done to me. I hate them for what they've done to a loved one of mine. You can't keep that to yourself. Psalm 109 says you can bring everything to the Lord even when it's not okay. Bring that to the Lord. How else are you gonna find healing? How else can the Lord begin to work on you and help you work through that and get you to a different place if you don't bring it to him in prayer? And so when you feel tempted, when you feel angry, when you feel vindictive, when you feel whatever, even if this is not great, you bring it to the Lord. We bring everything to him in prayer. Not just the good stuff, not just the polished stuff. We bring everything. Psalm 109 says you can actually bring your real anger to the Lord in prayer. Let's go to Psalm 32. I could do this for hours, by the way. I won't. But every psalm is a new lesson in what the Lord might teach you. Psalm 32 teaches us that we can bring our confession to him. Yet another psalm of David. David is the man after God's own heart, but David is also known for his great sin with Bathsheba. Sins of lust and then adultery and then murder and then deception as he seeks to cover up said murder. But that was not the only time that David messed up. That's not the only time that David sinned. He had lots of other sins just like us. And so Psalm 51 is how he confessed after his sin with Bathsheba, but Psalm 32 is yet another psalm of confession for different sins. Listen to what he says, starting in verse one. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So here's David saying, look, it's some unspecified sin in his life. We don't know what it is, but David has done what we all do. We just try to ignore it. He just tries to go about his day and says, no, 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 it's fine. No, 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 it's not that big a deal. No, 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 I'm sure it's not even a sin. I'm just gonna keep on going and pretend that everything is fine. I don't wanna talk about it. And he just keeps rolling. But he says, when I did so, it's like my, my energy was sapped away. It's like God's hand was just heavy upon me. The more I tried to ignore my sin, the more it just kind of weighed down upon me until he finally does the thing he doesn't wanna do. He comes to the Lord and says, I didn't cover this up anymore. I'm not going to pretend anymore. God, I'm sorry. God, I messed up. 
God, I was wrong. I, 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 did, I did this thing again. I, I'm so sorry. And what he finds is not judgment, but forgiveness. What he finds is grace. What he finds is new life, and it renews his strength. Not when he tries to fix it on his own or just do better on his own, but when he confesses his sin to the Lord, that's when he finds peace. I wonder what you and I do when you and I sin. Because let's be honest, maybe you think back to something similar to the Bathsheba incident. Maybe it's a thing in your past to say, man, that's the worst thing I've ever done. That's the, the worst thing ever. And, and maybe you have that and maybe you don't, but all of us have sins we're still wrestling with right now. Guys, we're not done. We're still being sanctified. We're still wrestling with the sinful parts of of who we are. God is continuing to to work in us and, and shape us and mold us after his own image, which means that we will have a constant need to confess. Not to stay saved, not to get saved. If you've given your life to the Lord, then you have found salvation in him. But if you want to continue to grow in that relationship, it requires honesty. I wonder if confession is a typical part of our prayer life. Not just God forgive me of my sins, generic, don't want to get into it. Let's just move on. But God, I'm sorry I did this. I reacted this way again. God, God I'm, I'm still wrestling with this temptation. God, I don't know how to get past this. I think for many of us, we just assume that, well, after you've asked for forgiveness a few times, he's just, uh, he's gonna run out of grace sooner or later. I can't ask for forgiveness again, can I? Or, or maybe this sin is just too, too much. I mean, other sins were, were fine, but not this one. I can't possibly bring that to the Lord. And so we hide and it crushes us. And the solution is confession. Bring that to the Lord. Bring that to me. And let him give you the grace, the forgiveness that we cannot get for ourselves and that we desperately need. Psalm 32 is a psalm that you can pray along with David and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna hide this anymore. I'm gonna confess this to you. I'm not gonna find the forgiveness that I desperately need. Do we confess regularly in our prayer life? And then finally, let's go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We've talked about grief, we've talked about anger, we've talked about doubt. These are things that are painful and and hard to deal with. But what about the days when it's not hard? What about good days? Do we pray just as much on good days as on bad? Do we pray when we have no questions as much as we do when we have questions? Do we pray when we're joyous as much as we do when we're grieving? Psalm 103 is a reminder that we ought to be praying at all times in the Spirit, and that includes Days of joy. Look at verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. For he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Would that we remember that as well. Here David just gets caught up in thanksgiving. He just wants to thank the Lord for his grace. He wants to thank him for his goodness. He wants to say, God, you've given me more than I could ever deserve. And in fact, he's going to contradict what he said in 32 or in 32 and or really 109 is what he contradicts where he says this, God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. In Psalm 109, he says, no, treat that guy as his sins deserve. But when he gets to 109, he says, no, God, thank you that you don't. God, thank you that you didn't give me what I deserved. You didn't treat me as my sins deserve. God, thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your steadfast love that you lavish upon us like a father loves his child. This is how God loves us, and it leads to thanksgiving. So he just praises. When was the last time you just had to stop and pray to tell God thank you for all the blessings of your life? When was the last time you just had to stop and say, listen, I I just got to say thank you to God because I have more than I ever thought I would ever have. God has done more. I never thought I would be here. Just look around at my life. I don't want to take any of this for granted. Look what God has done. He had every reason to throw me away and he never has. He's still here. Look at how he's forgiven me. Look at how he's blessed me. Look at how he has helped me. Look at how great he is. God, I want to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Does praise well up as much as questions? He says we bring everything to him, good, bad, and ugly. You can bring everything you are to the Lord. That's why we sing songs of questions, but also songs of praise, songs of joy. Because the Lord is worth it, is he not? Slow to anger and steadfast in his love for us. This is his nature. And so when you and I begin to ask the question, Does God really mean it when he says, you can draw near to me? The answer is yes. You say, yeah, but Adam, even that is David. You're talking about David, the man after God's own heart. But think about this. This is the same God from the beginning, the same God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, to say things like this. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the same Jesus Christ who's gonna choose Peter with all of his faults and failures and knowing how many times he will fail. Jesus chooses him on purpose, forgives him, empowers him regardless of his failures. It's Jesus Christ who preaches the parable of the prodigal son that even when you go and squander everything and you come home, you'll find your father running back to you, drawing near to you when you draw near to him. It's the same Jesus Christ who willingly goes to a cross to pay for every single one of our sins. He knows them. He's paid for them. And after rising from the grave, he does not turn around to glare at us, but instead offers an invitation. Would you come find salvation in me? Would you draw near to me? Would you come find life in me? By yourself, you are but dust, but I have made you in my image, and in me, you can have eternal life. He means it. Would you bring everything to me in prayer?